The problem of the astrocyte field is try to prove that astrocytes are like neurons. But now I think the time has arrived to think that astrocytes are not like neurons. The conceptual breakthrough was beyond understanding that those calcium responses in astrocytes were equivalent to action potential in neurons, in the sense that astrocytes respond very precisely to neuronal information by way of calcium transient. The term glia has protected the glia field and it has helped the glia researcher to get together, to organize their own meetings and their own journals. That has worked for a while. I mean, that has helped us produce data, but now it's a highly damaging term. This is Brain Inspired. That was the voice of Elena Galea, a research professor running her lab at Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona. Hi everyone, I'm Paul. So when I say brain, if you're like me and the majority of neuroscientists, you automatically think of neurons. After all, since the early days of being able to record action potentials from neurons, a ton of research has focused on how patterns of action potentials in single neurons and in populations of neurons relate to our cognitive functions and behaviors. And of course, the deep learning models in modern AI are based on the idea that we can build intelligence by performing distributed computations among neuron-like units. But neurons aren't the only game in town in the brain. For example, there are many different types of glial cells, which is basically the name given to the plethora of cells that are not neurons in the brain. Our understanding of glial cell function lags that of neuron function. Because, as you'll hear Elena say, the technology for recording certain types of glial cell activity didn't show up until 40 years after we were already recording neurons. One of those types of glial cells are astrocytes. I say one, but there are uh, a handful of different types of astrocytes. And what we have understood about astrocytes is that they help metabolism, they clear out chemicals that are important for signaling between neurons, and other housekeeping-like roles, as Elena calls it. And while that remains true, a lot of researchers are starting to ask whether astrocytes might also play a role in the computations underlying our cognition. And now that we can record how they signal amongst themselves and to and from neurons, we're beginning to appreciate how they may also shape our cognition more deeply than traditionally thought. So that's what we discuss in this episode. Uh, Elena elaborates on the old story about astrocytes, the new emerging story, Elena's current favorite hypothesis that astrocytes play a key role in feedback control, sort of along the lines that Henry Yen talked about as an important brain principle in episode 119. And we talk about the future of astrocyte research, something Elena is calling computational astroscience. We talk about astrocytes' emerging appreciation in disease states like Alzheimer's, and how we should stop trying to make astrocytes seem more like neurons and let them just be themselves. One last thing here before we start. After we recorded, Elena reflected a little bit and sent me this audio clip about how she thinks, if, if you're interested in astrocytes and their role in cognition, how you might go about studying them. If someone wants to enter the astrocyte field to study the role of astrocytes and cognition, 
I would recommend this person to avoid the CLIA field, to avoid CLIA journals, CLIA meetings, uh, even CLIA colleagues, and join a computational neuroscience group where he or she can grow as a computational astroscientist. Show notes are at braininspired.co slash podcast slash 135. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. So, Elena, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for finally coming on. It We've had to go back and forth a little bit to get you on the podcast, but I'm glad you're here now. Yes, well, thank you very much for having me and the possibility to share my science with, with people. So, neuroscience, the uh, study of the brain. Um, neuro means neuron, right? Because that's that's really yes. the only important thing in brains, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... But yes. but seriously, neuroscience has been and well continues to be uh, very neuron centric. It through, is through you know uh, the seat of consciousness through all the computational aspects, and glia, well among all the glia, which means traditionally, which means etymologically, glue, um, have been an afterthought, right? Um, and and we're going to talk specifically mostly about astrocytes here, but I, I just want to say glia yes. in general because astrocytes are not the only glial cells. So can you describe what the um, traditional old story is about astrocytes? And, and you can throw in other glia if, if you want and their functions within the brain. Right. The, the traditional view of the astrocytes beyond being glue, which I think uh, even people start the articles with the notion that they used to be called glue and they're not uh, glue any longer, glia cells in general. But the traditional view and still true of astrocytes that they perform housekeeping in the brain, unlike neurons, which are the cells that encode, basically, and they are responsible for higher brain functions. Now, astrocytes carry basic functions, such as chlorine molecules released by neurons upon activation, such as potassium and glutamate. Astrocytes participate in the re-removal during sleep. This is a, a very important function that was discovered uh, five years ago. Astrocytes also control the flux of waste molecules out of the brain. And astrocytes are well adapted morphologically to the function of molecule removal because they are like sponges that surround neurons and all their neurites. And um, I want to emphasize architecture. I will mention architecture during this conversation because the uh, name of astrocytes, that means stars, it came from immunostaining of astrocytes with GFAP. Um, this is a cytoskeleton protein, and it, it's like the human cytoskeleton for cells. And you only see like 10, 20% of the cell, and it has a, a star shape with a little body and then some processes, but the astrocytes are not like that. That's only the skeleton. Astrocytes are bushy, are round, they're very big, and they their distal processes are highly divided uh, to adapt to all the neuronal, to the neuronal elements, spines, axons, and bodies. So this is architecture. And the functions, the, the traditional view in the last, uh, say, 50 years is housekeeping. And this is true. So they perform housekeeping, and housekeeping is not a minor function. We have to say, if they only did housekeeping, that's okay. Now, the question is whether they 
to something else related to computation, and that's the new story. So if, in addition to performing basic functions, the astrocytes are part of neural circuits, and whether in neural circuits, they shape the processing of information among neurons beyond um, eliminating potassium and, and, and glutamate. That's the question. We say in our jargon, whether astrocytes are building blocks of neural circuits. That's the new story about astrocytes. Well, so part, well, the, the building blocks of neural circuitry sounds like architecture, but it is architecture, yes. Okay, well, we'll get into some of their computational roles also later because they're also being appreciated more and more as being part of the computations underlying our cognition, right? Mm, no, not and not for now. It's it's still a hypothesis. Ah. So while right, no, we don't. This is what we are really working on. So the in I, I can give a little bit of a historical background yeah. as to how we are how we came to think that astrocytes could be modulating and 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 regulating cognition in addition to performing homeostatic functions. So it, probably you know and the listeners know that any discovery is based upon new technologies and new conceptual developments. And the conceptual breakthrough in the 90s was calcium imaging, which is the capacity to track calcium activity in astrocytes with a microscope using fluorescent probes. That was in 1991. I actually, I started to do my postdoc in, in New York at the time. So I lived through that very exciting uh, times. Wait, were you already, sorry, I, I wanted to ask you about how you got interested in these things in the first place, so. Accidentally, accidentally, because I, I went to New York City to do a postdoc on vascular cells in um, and stroke and revelation of, of vascular dynamics in, in, in hypoxia and, and in different traumas. and. Someone in the lab, I was in the, in the Department of Neurobiology in Cornell University. The director was uh, the late um, Donald Reese. And there, there was a very young assistant professor called Douglas Feinstein, who was working on astrocytes. And uh, Don told me if I wanted to work with him. And I, I could work in his lab because um, Douglas was starting a group in astrocytes. And, and I said, why not? So I, I, I knew nothing about astrocytes. It was just a matter of luck. And, uh, and we started together working on astrocytes. And that was the time when astrocytes, when nothing about uh, the functional role of astrocytes whether regarding cognition or neural circuits was mentioned or known or even conceived. And uh, astrocytes were removing potassium and removing glutamate. That was known. And uh, it was the time where the concept of neuroinflammation started. And, I'm, and later we had a chance, I will tell you what I think about inflammation. Neuroinflammation oh, cool. now, which is not, actually, I don't have a good opinion of the term any longer. But there was a time when astrocytes and microglia were involved in diseases mm. and in Alzheimer's disease and in multiple sclerosis. So it was there. And, and so I, it happened that I was uh, working with a person that knew 
how to grow astrocytes in culture. That was a very important technical development as well to be able to grow astrocytes in culture to in cultures to study them. And this is how how it happened. So I didn't, it, it wasn't a vocational. It wasn't like uh, I knew what I was doing. You weren't following your passion, for instance, right? Uh, no. Well, I, I, I am a very intellectual person and I'm, and I'm a very curious person. And it happened, I started to work in neuroscience because um, there was a thesis position. I was a fellowship that I could get to work in a lab in Spain that studied uh, the vascular cells in, in the brain and indeed physiology, neurophysiology, and I was happy with that. But I, it's not that I looked for it, but I, now I love the field. So I, I, I love astrocytes. It's uh, an amazing field to be in, it's in neuroscience. We have a lot of work to do in this century. So I'm fine, I'm fine with century. it. It's like I was very lucky serendipitously that I went into this field. I cannot tell stories that I was highly visionary that I wanted <laughs> to go into this field. But it, I, I think those are bullshit in general, <laughs> with exceptions probably. But hey, I, I'm very happy. Um, I love I love science and my enthusiasm for things uh, cerebral haven't hasn't diminished. Is it fair to say that because uh, you mentioned like, like Alzheimer's, and I know you still work on the role of astrocytes yes, in do. Alzheimer's, was that also was was disease an interest also, at, or did that? Okay. Yes, yes, oh yes, I was because um, I, I studied biology, but always I doubted when I finished high school. Uh, I didn't know if I could uh, I would become a medical doctor or a physician or a or study biology because I, I got the scores, the marks to get both in medical school and, and in the in the graduate school for biology. And finally, I decided biology. I'm not sure why, but I decided biology. But I was always interested in diseases. So eventually, I'm um, coming back to diseases through astrocytes, and it, it's a good position to be because we we need to know basic the basic. Uh, function of a cell in order to understand what happens when they get sick and vice versa. Sometimes when when cells get sick or when their brain is altering diseases, we learn a lot mm. of well, how it works during in, in healthy in healthy situations. So I think I'm happy in combining both both computational astroscience and really clinical clinical research and, and I, I combine both fields very well, and, and I think I should do it. Okay, so well, you were saying about the um, the advent of some calcium imaging. Yeah, so in the in the nineties we have calcium imaging, and then the um, the conceptual breakthrough was the um, understanding that those calcium responses in astrocytes were equivalent to action potential in neurons, in the sense that astrocytes respond very precisely to neuronal information by way of calcium transients. So we say that neurons are excitable using changes in membrane potential that uh, produce action potentials, while astrocytes are excitable using changes in calcium concentration. So this is the way we see the calcium transients in astrocytes now. It's very important to understand the historical development 
of a given notion to understand why research in a given cell type like astrocytes may be delayed over time. Um, neurons, we know that neurons conduct electrical impulses from the 50s, from the 1950s in the 20th century, when action potentials were discovered. And calcium imaging astrocytes appear 40 years later. So research in astrocytes as possible excitable elements in circuits is delayed 40 years with respect to neurons. And this can explain in part why astrocytes and, and, and the role of astrocytes in cognition is rather undeveloped as compared to neurons because time is a very important factor in research. I think people outside research don't realize that research is an artisanal work done with our hands and it takes a long time not only to develop a mature concept, but also to gather enough data to, to support a new conceptual change. So this is the, 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 the time when calcium imaging was possible in astrocytes is actually relatively recent with respect to the, as compared to the, to the discovery of action potentials in, in neurons. So that explains in part why astrocytes and cognition haven't been uh, related for for a long time. So just stepping back and reflecting for a moment, I mean, that story kind of makes me think of two things. One, it's that uh, the phrase, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And the other is the the old story about someone who lost their keys and the only place they look is under the light, right? Because it's the only place that they can yes. see. So, um, in some, so in some sense, we haven't appreciated astrocytes because we didn't have the technology, the calcium uh, imaging technology. Yes. But um, the other way to look at that is that, so just like thinking about neurons only as spiking things because that's what we could measure, um, now right. is, is there a danger that we, we think of astrocytes as calcium signaling entities because that's what we can measure and we don't, we, you know, maybe we don't appreciate both neurons and astrocytes, other f facets simply because we don't have the technology to measure those things yet? Yes, absolutely. This is absolutely correct. This okay. is absolutely correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and this is this is why it, it's very important to... We, we have to develop theory at the same time as as technology. Both things have to go, go hand in hand. Because sometimes even you may have amazing technology, but as you say, you only look under the light. Exactly. You just don't see anything else. But sometimes it's also that the, the technology is just, it doesn't allow you to, to detect anything because I, I'm with microscopes is the mm -hmm. same thing. And now we have amazing microscopes that allow us to see the interaction between organelles live. We, or we have one single nucleus RNA seq to, to do high throughput molecular analysis. So they both go hand, hand in hand, the conceptual development and the technical development. And we, we need to understand that we need to teach students and we need to, to tell students that a given moment in science is determined by the, con the concepts and the technology that are available at the time. So you're not, you're not totally objective. You actually depend on what you have. And, and, this is, and you have to work with that and you have to move it forward, but you have to realize that your influence is highly determined by the time you're doing your research. You just mentioned that the advent of calcium signaling 
and imaging has, you know, brought to the fore a, a larger role for astrocytes. And we'll go deeper into that. But just some more kind of basics um, about astrocytes in general before we get into, you know, what's being learned more about them. But um, one thing in comparison relative to neurons, the god of the brain. Uh, so there are lots and lots of different types of neurons, and a lot of this is being learned through the high, high throughput yes. of molecular techniques like you talked about. I think you know it's over a yes. hundred and counting, and we don't even know how many exact types of neurons there are. But there are very few types of astrocytes in the brain. Yes. Um, and yes. One way to think about that is that that must mean that um, that they have limited roles, right? That uh, they're they're mostly yes. housekeeping. Uh, that's, yes. Is that is that the right way to yes. think about it? What does it suggest? I I, I totally agree with you. This is a, a a great great question and issue to discuss. Um, it is a very important question because uh, I've talked about fats. Um, one of the current fats in, in astrocytes or in brain research is the is the um, the data obtained with single nucleus and single cell RNA seq, and that has brought up the notion of astrocyte heterogeneity. And this is now a very fashionable topic to the point that some authors contend that astrocytes are so heterogeneous that there are no typical astrocytes. And this is wrong. Um, single nucleus RNA-seq is a great advance. I, I, I agree with it because it improves the cellular resolution of molecular data, but we need to put the concept of astrocyte heterogeneity in perspective as you just did, um, comparing heterogeneity neurons with heterogeneity in astrocytes. And in short, there are thousands of different types of neurons, molecularly distinct and functionally distinct neurons. And there are at most, less 10 at most, less than 10 molecularly distinct astrocytes. Mm -hmm. And moreover, we still don't know if those types that have been discovered recently are fate types that come from different progenitors or if there are transient types that results from adaptation to local circuits. I support the, the second possibility because I think the astrocytes are very plastic and they sort of adopt the flavor of the circuits they serve. But yes, I agree with you. Uh, there are fewer astrocytes than neurons and this means that neurons are specialized to perform specific functions while Astrocytes perform general functions, be them homeostatic or computational, but fewer and general functions. That's my idea, but I think people don't agree with me <laughs> in that. So let's see if time will prove that who is right and astrocytes are highly heterogeneous and do 2,000 things, or they just do a couple of things. Well, like you said, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. You, you said... You you kind of um, supporting the latter view. You see astrocytes taking the flavor, sort of developmentally and and plastically taking the flavor of the circuits that they're involved in. But the other people, I don't know if you've read, and I think it's Andrew Kube's book, The Root of Thought. There are people who are very uh, pro, who advocate the primacy of astrocytes. That instead of taking the flavor of the circuit, they're dictating the flavor of the circuit. Oh. But yes. you, you, how do you do? You see this as a back and forth process, or are astrocytes taking the lead, or are astrocytes listening more and adapting their function? Uh, I do think that astrocytes lead more 
oh, sorry, that neurons take the lead and astrocytes listen and they, if they compute, we, we can just get into the computational mm -hmm. part of astrocytes. I think if they compute, they adapt to neurons. Okay. I think neurons, finally, they are, um, I wouldn't say the god of the brain, but they are the ones that encode information and uh, astrocytes may modulate. This is my, my theory now. We can just talk yeah. about hypothesis. So we don't, we don't know yet what they're doing. I think we can, I, I can, I can tell you what is, what, what are the data we have? Sure. And what are the different options from, from that data? Yeah, that'd be great. So the, we, we spoke already about the architecture, and this is very important. So astrocytes are not like neurons. They are huge, and each given astrocyte has, like, includes in, the, in, their, in their body, includes like 10 neurons, millions of synapses, and thousands of dendrites. So they, they are sort of like, like a unit. This is, and this is very important to understand that. And we still don't know what does it mean. If this is reflects that astrocytes are able to, to integrate some of the information from all those neurons or, or it's just some, that kind of design has some type of advantage and we don't know. Another feature of astrocytes is that they're territorial. Neurons are highly promiscuous. They sort of mix their actions with some direction and spines. While neurons, where astrocytes, the, the abyssal process of one astrocyte just doesn't get into the territory of the abyssal process of another astrocyte. And we, and we still don't know what it means either. And when it comes to functions, as I said, there is no evidence yet that astrocytes encode any cognitive variable. So if the person just mentioned, said that astrocytes lead, lead the process of um, information transfer. I don't think that this has been proven. What we have learned in the last, take I, the last, in the last 20 years, particularly because researchers have been using tools with increased spatial and temporal resolution and have undertaken studies in complex behaviors. This is very important. So we, we know, I would say three things just to summarize the field in, in, in three key points. First, that astrocytes modulate the activity circuits. That, that's well demonstrated in different areas. That's, al that's almost like a, saying they're another housekeeping role for them, right? I, would, yeah, I think I will get to that, okay. but, in, but, but computational. Right, computational housekeeping but, but as with, opposed to metabolic exactly, housekeeping. Yeah. That's, exactly, that's exactly. Oh, and poor, poor astrocytes. This is a great, thank you. Thank you for the. I, I'm writing that down. I like. I don't it. know, but oh. it sounds like. But <laughs> computational housekeeping. I, I like it. Thank you very much. Well, I will. I will use it. But then you, you know, I, because when you were talking about the housekeeping traditional story, I kept thinking of, well, that's like the traditional role of women in the United States, right, in Western culture. And now yeah. we've come to appreciate <laughs> or give more respect to women and their computational role, right? You know, or that, that's a terrible right, analogy. Animal, but now you're saying they're housekeepers they, again. <laughs> well, it's a, I don't think there is, I think housekeeping um, uh, is very yeah, important know, as well. Yeah. So, and, and, and the point with housekeeping is that it should be regarded as an important function in general, meaning that it should be economically interesting 
and a man should be encouraged to do housekeeping. Okay, well, that's my vision of housekeeping. I, I think it's, a, it's an important work, like taking care yeah, of kids yeah. and taking care of all people. So I think the point is just to, to give importance to housekeeping. And in the rain, the same thing. Just let's give importance to to housekeeping by any type of self. I agree. So, yeah. So they're mandatory in all types of circus in all different, in all regions of the brain. That's well demonstrated. And if someone wants to know the literature, just contact me because I can I can forward them to really beautiful studies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, second, the second point that has been uh, discovered in the last decade is, is that the calcium responses in exercise exquisitely mirror the neuronal activity mm-hmm. to the point that they are it is predicted. And this means that one can tell the behavior of a mouse in general, an animal, a rat, or a mouse, very precisely just by looking at calcium transients in astrocytes and then using decoders. This is another advance that we have been using tools that have been developed for neurons. Now we're using them for astrocytes. And using decoders with calcium activity, we can now predict what kind of decision an animal has taken, or whether the animal is thirsty, or whether the animal is posi- has moved a position. How, how do those predictions compare to uh, predictions based on spiking, right? Decoded predictions? Um, equivalent. equivalent. Okay. They're equivalent, yes. So this is very, very important to know. And now with optogenetics and chemogenetics, which is the, the latest development in neuroscience, when we manipulate astrocytes, we change behavior. That's proven mm-hmm. too which further supports that astrocytes are part of circuits. And um, we can talk about the problem of optogenetics and chemogenetics that are not very physiological. In fact, we really don't know how they work. And we have to be very careful to use these tools to draw important conclusions. But this is a fact. So we manipulate the astrocytes and we change behavior now. So the point is now to to ask the question, what does it mean? And uh, the, in the astrocyte field, the, we think either this means really sophisticated metabolic housekeeping, for instance, that uh, upon calcium increases, astrocytes release uh, lactate to restore the metabolism of neurons, or astrocyte connects the vascular, the blood flow, to neuronal activity in order to provide more glucose and oxygen to your neurons, or whether the astrocytes are activated to remove potassium and put and bring potassium to other areas of the brain. So the increase in calcium means some means that the astrocytes are highly attuned to neurons, but that doesn't prove whether they compute or whether they just do highly sophisticated housekeeping. So whether, and the question is, if we are talking about computation, is either whether they do store information themselves, do they instruct neurons, do they transmit information to neurons as one possibility, or secondly, whether even if they don't store information themselves about, they don't store the code, part of the variables of the, of the brain code, if they modulate the activity of the circus, like for instance, controlling excitatory and inhibitory balance, 
controlling gain, um, providing and feedback. And I, I and I think for me, this is where the field stands now, and this is the work we need to do in the in the next decade. Is try to find exactly what are the astrocytes doing in the circuits and whether it's homeostatic housekeeping that I like it or homeostatic computation or computational homeostasis that is basic, which is myself the the hypothesis I favor because as we mentioned, astrocytes are sort of basic. They're not specialized. So probably they're doing the same thing all over the brain. And then the people, the engineers have to describe many basic functions that are necessary in circuits and astrocytes could be doing those functions or whether they're really more sophisticated and they're really encoded for some type of variable. Like they, they control error, for instance, when, um, the, the, when neurons fire, differently that some something has to put all the data together. Perhaps the exercises are computing their error or they're doing something that is more more like coding for a given variable. We still don't know that. And my recommendation for the field is just not to push things because the so the the problem of the exercise field, I think in the last 20 years, is try to prove that astrocytes are like uh -huh. neurons. And this has been like the motivation of all the studies. Yeah. So let's prove that astrocytes are very important in neural circuits. And this is fine because it has, it has produced under this framework, we have very interesting studies showing that astrocytes can modulate circuit activity in a very fine manner. But now I think the time has arrived to think that astrocytes are not like neurons. So we have to understand what they do and what are their very specific values that astrocytes as compared to neurons that are slow. So calcium yeah. signaling in the time, the, the, the time range is, is seconds or hundreds of milliseconds a second, while neurons, the axon potentials work in milliseconds. Sometimes ultra fast uh, action potentials are less than one millisecond. So they're, they're in different time zones. Well, even in a comparison like that, right? So I was going to ask you about the timing of the signals, and you just said that astrocytes right. are slower, but that's relative to neurons. So it's hard to escape relative talking to neurons, about, yes. it's hard to escape a comparison to neurons since they're sort of the standard of what's important. Right, but it, which is fine. It, it is fine too, because we learn a lot from comparing mm -hmm. things. But I think that the, we have been forcing astrocytes to look like neurons. So people have been, like, once we described, uh, we found calcium signaling astrocytes, people were trying to prove that calcium signaling can be very fast. And they were developing increasingly more, more sensitive tools, imaging tools to detect signaling in milliseconds or in 50 milliseconds. I think this is wrong. This is wrong. Because I mean, we have to think what kind of activities are important in the brain in the second scale. And there are very many. So the brain works in many different time mm. scales, not only milliseconds. So we really have to refine our thinking with a forcing astrocytes into being something that they are not. And um, the time 
that of their responses is highly very important. And my my impression now, my current hypothesis is that what they exercise do, so their 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 computational homeostasis is to control feedback. Mm. So the and, and I have one article that I can I recommend the you and the listeners to read by Hannah Il She's in the Department of Biochemistry and Biophysics at UCSF. And it's called it is published in Cell in, in, in last year in 2021. And it's called Biological Feedback Control Respect the Loops. And he she contains that organisms are an evolutionary masterpiece of multi-scale feedback control. And I think we should think about the brain also as a evolutionary masterpiece of multi-scale feedback control. And my idea is that astrocytes participate in feedback loops at a, at a micro and mesoscale working in the second range. And this is the way they may be central to, to computational housekeeping. So it's not that they encode variables, is that they they control, they, they participate in feedback control. And we need to develop this idea and find what are the exact principles and feedback loops that are relevant in the brain and that astrocytes may be, may be involved in. Well, I'm going to have uh, Matthew Larkham on the podcast soon. And one of the things that he has been working on a lot is in the uh, cortical, in the cortex, the cortical mini circuit, yes. the cortical column, that there are in the, in the upper layers. So let's say a, a, a layer five pyramidal neuron has this um, long apical dendrite that reaches up into layer one. And that largely receives feedback signals, whereas there's a, a, a more localized dendritic branching tree closer to the soma um, that shoots down essentially a little bit below the soma, but and that that largely gets like bottom up signals, like incoming signals. So you're describing that role for astrocytes made me think of this because one of the things that he's shown is that the the apical dendrites, when they're those signals that they're getting, the feedback are electrically decoupled from the cell body, so they have like a very different role. So it would be very it'd be interesting if astrocytes had a role in meeting mediating that feedback, but but that's a little bit adjacent to the kind of feedback control that you're that you're talking about, I suppose. Yes, yes. So it's a so it's in a given circuit. They may be maintaining the. Uh, we we don't know. This is a very important thing to just isolate and identify what are the relevant circuits. Mm -hmm. Whether it is in a one given astrocyte and 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 the same astrocyte is like a mini circuit that includes several neurons, perhaps in cortex that has been described. And actually, cortis, astrocytes are different in different layers. So perhaps they, they engage in, in, different, in different feedback control with different neurons. But I think it's very important to isolate the relevant, the relevant circuit and try to analyze astrocytes as elements that provide feedback. They don't, they don't process information themselves, although this has to be proven or disproven, but that they they provide feedback and that feedback control allows for a finer performance of, of the whole circuit. That's, that's the way, that's the way I, I see now. Well, even homeostatic mechanisms are become, you know, that even if that's a homeostatic role, 
homeostasis. It is homeostatic, but it's, yeah, it is homeostatic and nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. Right. (laughs) Nothing wrong with it. And we should really be very humble. We don't need, astrocytes don't need to be like neurons. So yeah, if they do, if they don't do it, that's fine too. And if they, if they, what, if the role is to do feedback control in the brain, in that, that's their homeostatic, uh, Rolling computation, that's fine too. And that's, that's, that's very, very important to, to find that as well. Before we move on, I, I, I keep having this question float through my head. I want to ask you about your general uh, outlook or overview on the computational approach to thinking about cognition that dominates neuroscience these days, that it's we need to think about neural activity all in terms of the computations being performed, whether that's in a population of neurons or in small circuits or at the single neuron level. And things like a feedback control mechanism, like a homeostatic, uh, I just said mechanism, uh, you know, role, a feedback role for astrocytes, um, we, we, even that we kind of think of in terms of how it relates to the computational um, function of neurons, which is the quote-unquote important thing, right? And I know what you're saying is that it's all important, but do you have a perspective on how you think about our cognition? Is it all computational? Do we need to, is it multi-scale, multi-level that we need to somehow rejigger our thinking about how to think about cognition? It's, well, I think it's the big question for the, for this century, how exactly the brain computes, whether the brain is digital or is more analogic. Mm -hmm. And certainly it's multi-level, so that, that we know, and multi-scaled. But the question is to identify what is the relevant levels. Because uh, I think we are generating a lot of data. That happens in general in all the biology fields, not, not only in neuroscience, with all these new machines that we have and microscopes and, and molecular analysis. We, we are generating a lot of data and I'm not sure we are really, we're really developing knowledge very much. We are sort of have new toys and I'm not sure if we are using them correctly to generate new knowledge. It's giving, it's giving jobs to many people <laughs> and it's paying paychecks, but it will be great if in addition to, to paying, to paying salaries, we could just actually advance knowledge in a meaningful manner. So I think this is the, the question in the future is, is what, what are the general principles that uh, drive cognition and uh, higher brain functions? And probably there are not very many. And also, of course, the, the brain code. We still, we, there are some variables that we know that the brain computes, like colors or notes or uh, categories like being a dog or a, or a tree or emotions, but we still don't know how the brain does mm-hmm. it and what, and that's the tip of the iceberg. There are probably very many variables that the brain computes and we are not aware of. And that's the job to, to do. That's our task to understand those, those things in the next, I would say century. I would say in the 21st century. And w- in, when it comes to astrocytes, I think the astrocytes can do something for, for computational neuroscience, which is to help understand the brain better. This is exactly using the, um, the importance of feedback control. 
So we may understand why brain does certain things. So studying astrocytes doesn't remove or diminish the importance of neurons. It just enhances how neurons can be modulated because we introduce another element that brings feedback control. I mentioned that. And also something very important, energy efficiency. Mm. One of the main features and amazing features of the brain that hasn't been reproduced in in artificial neural circuits is energy efficiency. So the brain uses like 12 to 20 joules per second, which is like the energy that, that a light bulb in a refrigerator uses. And it's not known why the brain is so energetically efficient. And in all these morphofunctional designs that are now being developed very actively, you know, that you really reproduce the brain circuits in a realistic manner. This is a main question. So why, why is it that the, 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 uh, the brain manages to do so many things with very little energy? And perhaps other non-neuronal cells, astrocytes, or perhaps NG2 cells, other types of glial cells, are the ones that, that account for the energy efficiency. Perhaps the, the architectural design of astrocytes and neurons responds to a way to make neuronal activity more sustainable using a modern term. And this is the kind of things that you, that astrocytes and non-neural sense can be used to understand because until now, we still, we don't understand why the neurons can really perform highly demanding functions from an energetic point of view with using neurons we cannot understand that there are some theories like the sparse mm-hmm. coding and other theories but perhaps we can introduce another element which are astrocytes for example so perhaps all that feedback control the main goal and the main evolutionary goal has been to reduce the um, the use of energy or to make the use of energy in the brain more more efficient and this is this is the kind of it's an example of where using non-neuronal cells or or looking at other properties in cells that don't have spikes can be very useful to understand the brain and to and to develop artificial intelligence that has brain-like properties i want to ask you a little bit more about your thoughts on i know that you're not an artificial intelligence expert but but before I do that, I'm wondering, so as, as technology advances, just like we started our conversation saying that astrocytes have not been appreciated until um, the technology kind of caught up to be able to see the, the calcium signaling and see how they're, you know, kind of signaling to each other. Where, where are we in, you know, the other thing with, with neurons, right, is that you know, we can go in and uh, I can electrically stimulate <laughs> a little small area of the brain, although it's really like a large area in terms of how many neurons it's stimulating. Like it's like hitting oh, yes. it with a baseball yes. bat or something, but, but yes. we can stimulate. Yes. And I, I've done this. I've stimulated a part of the brain and made monkey's eyes moves, move, you know, in certain directions. Um, we can yes. also put little drugs in to, um, to reduce or ablate the activity of neurons. You know, you can, you, so you can be very specific. What I'm getting at is I, I'm wondering where we are technologically. Can I, can I define? Can I look at it like a little part of the brain and then just uh, silence 
astrocytes and see what that does to the cognition? Or where are we in terms of being able to we, manipulate and, and stimulate, and et cetera? In terms of manipulating, it's up to genetics and chemogenetics. Mm-hmm. And that so far are activating astrocytes. I'm not sure if there are, uh, with optogenetics, you can also inhibit neuronal activity, but I don't think that there is uh, an optogenetic tool that inhibits astrocytes. But you can inhibit astrocytes using transgenic, transgenic tools. So you can remove the, the, um, I, the calcium receptors and just ablate all the calcium activity and responses. The problem with that is that it's not very refined. Mm. So this is, I think, the problem. the The problem in the manipulation of astrocytes is that it's not, it's not very precise, and it's not modulatory. So it's just all or yeah. nothing. Either it stimulates a lot, and probably they're releasing with chemogenetics and optogenetics a lot of glutamate that the astrocyte never releases so much, or it just blocks completely the the calcium response of astrocytes. And that is not very, it's actually very good because we, we see that things happen, but it's not very, very elegant. I'm, I'm not sure with neurons we can do a little bit better, but uh, with astrocytes, we need to refine the temporal and, and, the, and the amount of signal that we, we induce or we, we manipulate. This is very, very important. Also, the regional activation, astrocytes are huge. So it's not the same to to activate the whole astrocyte as to activate a, a digital process or a quarter of an astrocyte because the probably different areas that are uh, activating in, in different times and with different intensities have different functional repercussions. So that's a problem. We need to be to refine the the manipulation of the astrocytes and when. You mentioned the behavior. That's also very important that we now there are a few studies that have done it. We need to pair strictly astrocyte activation with a given behavioral output in, at the same time in order to, to really determine whether astrocytes can modulate that behavior. This is difficult to do experimentally, but this is very, very important, you know, the too much astrocyte activity with uh, behavior. When it comes to recording, calcium is still the, uh, the, the calcium imaging is the technique that we use. And now can be done a high in temporal, high in temporal spatial resolution. There are tools like Aqua tool developed by Kira post cancer that allows to extract the signals from the astrocytes with a very, very relevant uh, resolution, relevant to behavior. So we, we, we have tools, but probably we need to refine the circuits. So we need to understand what is the uh, circuit whereupon astrocytes really are really acting. Like the wiring diagram in terms of... The okay. wiring diagram, this is very important. Mm-hmm. And, and then we need to manipulate astrocytes better. And so because the, if, if their role is feedback control, by definition, feedback is, is, is modulation, 
is uh, there are chain, very minor changes. We're talking changes at 10, 20%. So we need to go down to that level of refinement in order to extract relevant data. And now, as I said, we are in the all or nothing type of manipulations. So this is, and of course, modeling will help with that. So we can, this is another problem of the astrocyte field, unlike the neuronal field, is, is that um, there is no much modeling in the astrocyte field, which is the modeling can help us to, to, to change, um, to modelate astrocyte properties in, in very small amounts that are relevant to, to the real brain. But um, the modeling is, is, is not as advanced as it is for neurons. Another second problem with the modeling is that the ther theoreticians don't work with experimental people, which is a big mistake, because in computational neuroscience, you have the, the wet science and you have also the computational neuroscientists working together. And this is very important, like in physics, when you have the theoretical physics and you have experimental physics and then one produces ideas, the, other, the others test them and they go and give feedback. In, in, in natural science, that doesn't exist. I would say it's still it's still pretty early on, even in neuroscience as well. There are more that's happening more and right. more, but it's well, young still. More, but in astro science, we it's don't not, have yeah. that. And even the few people that do modeling, then they and even they use astrocyte like elements in artificial intelligence. They went that sounds very good, but when you read the studies, <laughs> they have a different conception yeah. <laughs> of astrocytes. Well, right, because they they have to right. like come up with a Let's invent a computation that we think astrocytes might be doing. We'll add it in. Right. It's, it's something. Yeah. No, we usually introduce an element there that's, that has that performs some, some type of feedback, which is fine, as I said. But then you can have inhibitory feedback. You can have positive feedback. Dependent. You can act. The feedback can be at different levels. So they don't agree. So we need now we actually um, um, here in, in Spain, we're trying to to launch the field of computational astroscience. And, and we will, and I want to invite the, the, the silicon researchers and the people that work in artificial intelligence to help them standardize their concept and wow. approaches. And define when they say astrocyte like, just, just decide what, what is astrocyte like? And we should decide on exactly when we introduce astrocyte-like elements in a circle, what, what are we talking about? Because we are not, we, we don't agree on that very, very important point. It's funny that, um, so, you know, like the, the, the foundations of artificial intelligence based on neurons, you know, but of course neurons spike and hardly anyone builds spiking neural networks. <laughs> it's all rate-based and like they're little point so process like, neurons. Exactly. And without, they are not yeah. very, they're not very realistic. And some people have mentioned that this is a problem. Yeah. Because the, even the way they, they model neurons is never realistic, not only because there are not a, a spiking neurons, but also because neurons are also very complex. And they are computational units in themselves because they, they, we, they, they model neurons as a, as a one element there when that element has spines, has dendrites, has axons, has somas. And each part, as you mentioned with... Uh, now, uh, regarding the work of, of that person that is going to take uh, a podcast, yeah. it, one given neuron is also a computational unit and, and integrates information 
from different, different parts, and that is not modeled in, art, in artificial intelligence or in artificial neural networks. So they're not realistic at all. Well, and yet I could say, but, but look how far AI and deep learning now has come with modeling it w- without considering the varieties of neurons. And why, why should I consider astrocytes? Why, is it just energy efficiency? Are they important? for building intelligence? Well, perhaps they don't they don't encode, so they they are not crucial, but they are like um I think having a circuit that is efficient from the point of view of energy, this is very important, mm. I think. So it's like having perhaps like just just presenting an analogy in the body, perhaps it's like the exercise are like the lungs and the heart and the liver of, 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 of the body. So, but the brain doesn't work if the heart doesn't work or if the lungs don't work. So perhaps the same kind of analogy is housekeeping. So it's, it doesn't look very sophisticated, but, but as, as I said, when they want to do artificial intelligence that really can mimic human intelligence, they, they, can, they need, one of the reasons they need to use very complex computational devices, huge, enormous, and the brain does it in a very small device. There is some efficiency in the in the both the functional design of the brain and the architectural design of the brain. Probably is important in order to to having this kind of efficiency. And artificial intelligence now in two in twenty twenty one still for the time being doesn't do it. Elena, it's tw- it's 2022. We're in 2022. Oh, 2022. <laughs> Sorry. 20, <laughs> in 20, no, I'm still, you know, with, with this, hobby, I know. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit lost. I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm a little bit lost. 2022. Yeah. Three months. Your housekeeping is all messed up. <laughs> My housekeeping is, is terrible, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that, in, in order to be intelligent, perhaps, yeah, feedback control, energy efficiency, and um, as precise may be relevant for that. And that, that for me, I, I am happy with that. I'm, I'm happy with truth. Mm. So if, if we, we in computational astrocytes, eventually we find that astrocytes are not relevant for computational issues, that's fine too, I mm. think. We we have to be comfortable with that, but then, but perhaps in 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 this century we'll find out that they we find we discover properties and principles of brain activity that in which astrocytes are an essential elements in regulating those circuits. So perhaps we will describe that. Some people have said that astrocytes are some, and there is some very interesting researcher in Russia, Susana Gorlieva, who produces in silicon model of astrocytes, and I always like to read her papers. Well, she says that astrocytes are the ones that make the brain analogic, that neurons are, are only digital, and with that, we cannot have any intelligence. And astrocytes, because perhaps they are, they are imperfect uh, in providing feedback to neurons, make neuronal circuits to behave in an analogic manner, which I think is an interesting idea. That is idea. interesting. 
So yeah. Just as an aside, what 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 do you um think of the hype of artificial intelligence these days? Is it overhyped? Are you impressed by it? Are you do you find it um lacking? Or do you have any thoughts on it? I mean I, I I'm impressed <laughs> because actually I as a tool to process information, not just in the brain, too. We we do um our mix a lot of our mix in the lab. Yeah. And uh, in addition to do um, ontology and all this mining of data using platforms and, and, and other statistical tools that we use, we have used uh, artificial intelligence to fill the gaps and to draw predictions, and it works. So I'm impressed. I'm impressed by the capacity of artificial intelligence to, to improve knowledge and we and it's a little bit scary because we we actually don't know how it does right. it because you know you know the input and you know the output but you actually don't know what happens there but it's a fact and it's the, it is going it's happening already and it will be the in 500 years it will be Probably the um, the way the humans will live with artificial intelligence. If the human species still so still around, mm. then I, I have a colleague who works in artificial intelligence that he he thinks that artificial in, he's very optimistic about artificial intelligence. Sounds like it. I, I know what's coming. Go ahead, say it. <laughs> and he says that in the vision of humanity, that artificial intelligence is going to be much better than human intelligence. And that the, the that humans using artificial intelligence, they're going to live in a better society. He thinks that. And that he predicts that, let's say, uh, I don't know, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, the vision of, of the 20th century and the, and the 21st century will be of the man that produced the artificial intelligence. The man. So now, in the same way that we see all the... 15th century was uh, Renaissance. Uh, 20th century was of uh, all the developments in physics and quantum mechanics. Then we will see the 21st century was artificial intelligence. And his prediction is that it's going to be much better. And that artificial intelligence is going to work, is going to work much better than than the brain intelligence. But the the physics, let's say say like the the golden era of physics, right? And the 20th century that happened yes. pretty quickly but this is a 500 yes. years is a lot slower is it just a harder problem or why would it oh well, I will 500 years is just a number oh, sure. I don't know because actually yeah it could be 200 years or 100 years because actually what people tell me people that work in artificial intelligence tell, tell me is that they there are important developments like every week in artificial intelligence yeah well imp- what, what well that Okay, quote unquote important. I'm not sure you have to judge what's well, important. Well, relevant. Yeah. So that that they feel is is very fast. Yeah. So it's moving. It's going very fast to the point that they don't even bother to publish things. They have this big tree where they 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 connect dots and they 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 show the data from different labs, and in that and, and people say that it's really moving on very very fast in all realms. In, of course, for technology, 
and for Google, Facebook, and for the clinical research is moving very, very fast. So it's out, it's out there, it's out there. I think we cannot stop it. At most we can control it and, and, and demand um, that, it, that we, it should be transparent. Which, as I say, the problem is like like the like the brain. We don't really know how it works. And artificial intelligence is exactly the same thing. But I I am I'm curious about it, and I think we can't stop it. And in my lab, we have used it to to complement our manual analysis. And I have to say that very successfully. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of young people are curious about it too, and a lot of people. In academia, I'm not sure if this if we mentioned this during the episode or before when we were talking, but people are seem to be leaving academia in droves these days, or at least threatening to or complaining about, etc. Yes. Um, why would you? Two questions. Why would you stay in neuroscience? Why would you stay in academia? Or why would you go into neuroscience as opposed to going to work for Google or some company that we can't stop because it's they're producing so much data and it's so important. Every week are is ten thousand new important things. So this, this yes. so the second question would be: um, If I were to kind of go into computational neuroscience, why should I study astrocytes? Should I study astrocytes? Is this the right time? You said I think you said it's going to take a hundred years until we, you know, fully know the. Well, but then you do, you will contribute to that development. If you're if you're a curious person. I think you can study computational astroscience and, and then just contribute to the development of the field. But one very important thing is not to be isolated from the neuronal right. people, which is another problem and a big problem of the CLIA field. And I'm, I'm actually against the use of the term GLIA because it is, um, it has historically important term that was coined uh, 100 years ago because there were the researchers like Cajal and others, they saw neurons that were obviously relevant to the performance of the brain and other cell other types. Other cells, yeah. And uh, everything. other cell types were clear. <laughs> yes, right. and, and, that's, and that should be, uh, and, in, and at that time, it was the correct thinking, but now that is too simplistic. And in the, the term clear, has protected the glia field and it has helped the glia researcher to get together to organize their own meetings and their own journals and we review each other and that has worked for a while i think that has helped us to produce data but now it's a highly damaging term i think because what happens is that when neuronal people take a look into astrocytes they don't buy any of what we do you have to make it sexier you have to make it uh they don't, so they, they think that they are primitive cells and they they there are the research in neurons is highly more relevant and there are priorities in neurons that need to be solved before we just ask questions about whether these primitive um, huge cells are doing something in neural circuits and that's a problem because we when um, because we need the neuronal people we need their theories we need their, their technical tools. We, we need their statistical analysis. And uh, we need to grow together. And my, my intention with the computational astroscience field is just n- not to 
develop it in isolation within your own field, but in, in Spain to grow it in the computational neuroscience field. And I think the yeah, students, you, the, the question to go into is not a question to go into academia or to go into Google. Then the question is whether you do want to do research or do you want yeah. to do something yeah. else? That's my question. And then you want to do research and, the, and because you are, you're a curious person because you want to ask big questions and the brain neuroscience is still a big, big question or whether you want to solve diseases. And I think computational neuroscience and computational science has the chance of curing diseases in, in perhaps not now, but in the next, I would say, 10 years. Because once we understand, for instance, the role of astrocytes in, in synchronization of neurons, we can manipulate astrocytes in order to restore synchronization, or we can engineer neuronal circuits to, to adapt their activity in very fine ways and control autism and schizophrenia. I think in, in, the, in 10 or 20 years, these the neuronal computational neuroscience is going to deliver clinically relevant results. And if people, students, they, they want to cure diseases and do research to cure diseases, this is a fine field too. And they can do research in academia and they can do research in companies as well. There are many companies now that, are, that yeah. do very, very fine research. Yeah. So I think the point is whether you want to do research and then where, or whether you want to do something else with your biologically biological degrees or medical degrees. That's the question. But uh, yeah, I, I think research is a, it a magnificent endeavor and it's very fulfilling in the long term. No, it's, it's and it's never frustrating, right? Never frustrating. It's always <laughs> <laughs> never frustrating. <laughs> never ever. If anyone tells you their research frustrating, they're, they're lying. lying. Yeah. They're lying. They're lying. <laughs> so computational astroscience is the term. Yes, computational astroscience. That will work on I mean studying housekeeping. Uh, right, right. <laughs> That's the first thing. Yeah. But 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 then that also um, not to belabor this point, but then that also kind of keeps it separate from computational neuroscience. I know that the phrase mirrors computational neuroscience, but what would be a a term you wouldn't say neuro astro oh. or astro neuro or yeah those are yeah we we we, we play with those mm -hmm. terms and it's not an it's easy not, it's, hard. it's very it's a hard one because it's very it's, terms die hard and and neuroscience will not die what what about just systems the problem is neuro systems, is always in the word uh, right but which focuses neuro is always in know. the word that's the problem but. Yeah, so that's, uh, I don't know, we can perhaps... Uh, systems brain science. Yeah, systems brain. But brain is not brain because the spinal, well, it's the peripheral nervous system. It's also well, part of the brain and the, and the spinal cord is not the brain. Systems, brains, the universe, and everything science about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, neural neural yeah, things, neuro yeah. Let's, let's, let's end on this because it's kind of coming full circle. So even during our conversation, so so we live in an era where words uh, have become, I don't know, more, people put more, let's see, how do I say this? It's, words are sensitive to people now, right? You, it, they can trigger people, 
they can be violent, etc. I, you know, even during our conversation, I have in the back of my head talking about, you know, the sexism of what housekeeping has been traditionally, blah, blah, blah. I have to be careful what I say. And thinking about the yes, term, you, the, the yeah. term neuron and glia and and how to move forward and and how things are named quote unquote incorrectly. Do words matter? Do do the names of things matter? Yeah, the, the words. Oh yes, there's the word that they do matter a lot because they shape our thinking. Mm-hmm. So, sometimes this is interesting. Sometimes words that the linguists say that sometimes you you need words to be a little bit ambiguous. Because it's very, if it's very strict, then basically you don't communicate. Uh, but yeah, but some other times you need words to be very precise, and you need to, and then you need words to convey to convey the right the right concept. So w- words are strictly related to to conceptual refinement. So we need to refine our lexic in order to refine our research as well. And I think this is one of the reasons with and neurons and astrocytes, and it, perhaps in the long term, uh, I already said we shouldn't use the term glia because this is like saying that the nature is divided in, in water, air, fire, and I don't remember the fourth element. We should stop saying glia because that obscures the resolution, the functional resolution of glial cells. And perhaps we should stop saying neurons and astrocytes as well and, and describe the brain in terms of circuits relevant circuits and relevant functions that are, some of them we know, and some some of them are still to be discovered. So perhaps in 100 years, our our vision of neuroscience will be based on relevant circuits and and relevant building blocks in that circuit instead of of neurons as precise, because even, and we, we said that already, there are thousands of different types of Many different types right. of neurons, and why should should they be collapsed in in the notion of a cell that is spikes? Well, a hundred years is a is a long enough time, I think that that might happen because, like people, you know, linguists would also say that words are difficult to change. Uh, you know, you can't. That's not the way that language really develops unless you are really good at making memes or something, right? And um, so it's hard to like force a change and somehow it has to happen over gradually over time and in a somewhat natural manner. But so, so I don't imagine that you think that you could force the change. Well, yes, um, yeah, it's very difficult. And usually the change comes because these, the, the people that use those words retire <laughs> Okay. Yeah. and, and, and new, this is like that. So and new people come seen and they have different ways of, of, of describing things. But we, we should really encourage people to use better words and to describe systems in a more refined manner, uh, absolutely. And, and particularly, as you say, is like trying to take it personally because the problem now that words are loaded, emotionally loaded, and particularly in the United States and Europe, it's not like that yet. Oh, you, yet. Think, it's com- you think it's coming? It's coming. It's, we're watching. Uh, we're don't watching. stop watching us. Stop doing anything that we're doing. We're, <laughs> we're watching, but I think it's totally crazy because, uh, you know, we're, words, words are just words. So we cannot just be so, you know, continuously offended by, by certain words. I, I don't care. I just, in, in, the, in the case of science, I think that we, should, we, should, we can describe things better. And in personal terms, I, I, I'm not 
offended at all <laughs> by many words, and I don't care. <laughs> but I, I think that's we really have to be a little. I don't know. This is the the way that the world is going. Sometimes it's a little bit excessive in this sort of overreaction yeah. to to name some words and getting offended by yes, basically anything that. That's a yes, another reflection. Yeah, maybe the world is going through a rough patch, but I, I've enjoyed. I think that our our little time here has been like an oasis within that rough patch. So, I've, well, you can you can use any word with me. I don't <laughs> okay. care. You guys, oh, you better watch out. I'll, I'll uh, now don't get me going. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Elena, this has been fun. Thank you for the time, and uh, thank you very continued much. Continued success. Thank you, Cole, for for your time and your questions. It's been very very pleasant to talk to you. Brain Inspired is a production of me and you. I don't do advertisements. You can support the show through Patreon for a trifling amount and get access to the full versions of all the episodes, plus bonus episodes that focus more on the cultural side but still have science. Go to braininspired.co and find the red Patreon button there. To get in touch with me, email paul at braininspired.co. The music you hear is by The New Year. Find them at thenewyear.net. Thank you for your support. See you next time. The stair-